there was no lack, no knowledge or concept of not enough. The garden ground blessed man with fruit, fruit without labor. The sun could not scorch skin or leaf. The gentle breeze blew through branches across the bare skin of a man and woman who knew nothing of sin, nothing of fear, nothing of isolation, of loneliness, of pain, and nothing of deceit. The footsteps of the good father accompanied the innocent as they explored the manifestation of his glory day by day. And every sunrise revealed new life, new breath, and all without cost. For in this garden was found no imbalance. All things worked together for good as it was made to be. But above this garden, in the place from which Yahweh spoke this creation, a rupture had occurred. In a surge of pride with a quenchless jealousy, a worshiper had exchanged his purity for death. And in the ruins of his eternal grave, Satan had become resolute to steal, kill, and destroy all that the good father had purposed and to forever silence the song of creation. With a whisper, the father of lies approached the innocent man and woman with their first scent of brokenness. His seeds of deceit took root. This sly deception had made way for doubt, the first fracture in their trust of the good father. From the longing in their hearts to trust themselves, they disobeyed God. The perfect relationship between God and man was broken. Sheared apart by the poison of pride, sin was born. And God's once perfect creation, now muddied with sin, gave birth to death. The soul that sins shall die, said the Lord. The wages of sin is death, and it must be paid for by life. Blood alone would satisfy his justice, and for centuries blood was shed, but only as a reminder of sin, never fully atoning. For the world awaited a perfect sacrifice, the only means of full reconciliation with a holy God. Then one day, from the highest heaven came shouts of triumph. Behold, today in the city of David, the Savior is born. Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin, returned perfection to the world. He brought life, joy, peace, righteousness. He healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the leper, and brought a message from God, good news. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. Fully God, fully man, tempted and tried just as we are, but found without sin. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, 
who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription on the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, and on his right hand and on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, Ha, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from that cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. You know, it's familiar for us to see crosses throughout our year. You may be wearing a cross necklace and you may have seen crosses at even grave sites or crosses on t-shirts. But today on Good Friday, when we have these crosses up, it's meant to remind us of what happened on that terrible yet amazing day. You know, Jesus, he was mocked, as we just read. He was beaten in all four Gospels. It records Jesus Christ being crucified and the journey he went on. Not only was he spit upon and mocked, Kids, I know some of you are here in the room. Would you like to be spit upon? No. Would you like to be made fun of? No. Would you like to get hit with a stick over and over? No. It would make you bleed. It would almost break your bones. But yet, that's what they did to Jesus. He did nothing wrong. He was innocent. So they beat him. And then he had to take this cross that they were about to crucify him on actually much bigger than this wooden cross, much thicker, much heavier, so heavy that even a very strong man would be difficult to carry underneath good strength. But he had been beaten. He had been whipped. He had been mocked. And he was exhausted. So then Jesus carried this cross up this hill to the hill of Golgotha. And it says this man Simon helped him out along the way. We can only presume because Jesus couldn't muster the strength to carry it up himself. You know, in Isaiah 53, 6, it says this about Jesus. This is a prophecy from Isaiah. If you don't know, Isaiah was a prophet. He lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, lived on the earth, and was crucified. And Isaiah said this in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, iniquity, kids, if you're listening, is just a big word for a bunch of sin. It's a bunch of bad stuff. But Jesus, it says, laid upon himself the iniquity of us all. You know, when you think about sin and you think about what Jesus did on the cross, maybe this will help us. 
There's a book. It's a black book. Meaning this book, if you think, what if this book contained all the sins that I've ever done? That means every lie, every toy I've ever stolen, every time I cheated on that exam in college or looked over, right? Every time I had a bad thought when someone cut me off on the road and I just wanted to do something to them, right? We've all done that. Every time you've ever thought an evil thought, you've watched something you shouldn't watch, you thought a critical or judgmental thought about somebody, every time you dishonored God, every time you've done anything in your life that was sinful, that was evil, that was wrong, what if it was in this book, and this was just my book. Now, my book's actually a lot bigger than this, in case you're wondering. It's much thicker, but this is the biggest book I could find. So what if, but what if this was Tyler Hardy's book of all the evil I've ever done. And in Isaiah 53, 6, you know what it says. It says, he took upon, laid upon him the iniquities of us all. So what if Jesus was standing right here, pure, innocent? He doesn't have a book. There's no evil. He didn't have a book of evil. Everything Jesus did was perfect and right. He was kind all the time. He was loving. What if he's standing right here? And I'm holding this book, and I know that this book, I can't put it down. I literally can't hide it anywhere. I can't put it on a shelf. It's attached to me. Like, like I'd have to go to sleep with this book. That'd be hard to sleep, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I, I'd have to like go on a jog with this book. It's heavy. It's weighty. I mean, I would have to get married when I got married. I'd have to marry this book and have to find a way to put the ring on her finger. Just, I mean, no matter how awkward it is to have this book, and then everywhere I go, it's telling everybody, oh, there's Tyler's bad book. Oh, there's Tyler's sin. Oh, it's clear. Right, I go get a coffee at Starbucks. Oh, there's, I remember that guy. He's got that big black book of sin. But you know, every one of us has a book, a big black book. But you know what Jesus did? He went on a cross so that he could stand next to us. And then, but he's on that cross, right? But Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He didn't have a black book. But when Isaiah 53 says he, we laid the sins of us all upon him, it's not just my book going on Jesus because he's the one that can take it from me. It's all your books. And the books of everybody in India, China, France, Mexico, Washington, California, everyone in Texas, all your friends, all your family, everybody, it's everybody, everybody's sin piled up and it says that it was laid on Jesus' back. And that sin is heavy. And he was weighted with it down. So when Jesus was crucified, it, it wasn't just painful because they put nails through his wrist. It was painful because of the weight of our sin. It was literally the weight and the wickedness of us all laid upon him, stacked a mile high of billions of people weighing him down, and yet he took it for us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. You know, I was reading and doing a little research and came across, you know, in Leviticus chapter 16, underneath in the Old Testament, the priests were given instructions. Aaron, if you remember, he was a priest. He was given instructions about how they were supposed to do the sacrifices. This is before Jesus, okay? And so God made the laws and he said, hey, listen, in order to get rid of your sin, there's a certain way you've got to do it. So what they would do, they'd actually get two goats. 
In Leviticus, Leviticus 16, it describes it for us. They'd have two goats. One goat they would kill, and it would bleed, and it would die. Really sad, right? So one goat they would kill, but the other goat that was clean and didn't have any blemishes or spots or broken bones, that goat they didn't kill. And this is what it says in Leviticus 16. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. That's the priest Aaron. And confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put on them the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to remote to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Have you ever heard the term scapegoat? That's where that comes from. It's literally one goat paid the price, the sacrifice, right? So one goat, the other goat, pure innocent, what, what the priest would do, they would sacrifice one goat, take the blood on his hands, and then they would literally transfer the blood on the, on the head of the other goat, and they would go like this and say, this is the goat that's gonna take our sins. Now this goat would then go away to the wilderness and run off, and it symbolized, okay, that sin is now going away into the wilderness. We're free. It'd be like throwing it into the ocean. It's gone. It's away from us because that sin anywhere near us is going to inflict us and make us evil. And it's going to make, and it's going to make it where we don't have rain. Our crops don't grow and things go terrible for us. We got to get that sin out of here because that sin is literally destroying us. So when Jesus came, he's called a perfect lamb the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. Not only did he take our place on the cross, but he took the penalty, the weight of our sin. But you know, when he's hanging on the cross, he says something in John nineteen thirty. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished! And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Kids, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus had been hanging on one of these crosses for at least six hours. He could barely breathe. He didn't have any water. No one could touch him or comfort him. He just hung there. The sun was beating down on him, and it was painful. And at the same moment, he's there. And the truth is, he shouldn't have been. He was innocent. You know who should have been there? Me. You. Because of our sin. God is so good and holy, he says, someone has to pay the price for all the wickedness. You owe me. Because you can't know God. You can't be close to God because he is righteous and holy. He can't have that. But Jesus took that for us. But when he said it is finished, the last thing I want to share with you. When he said it is finished... You know, the English translation of that Greek word, that phrase, is tetelestai, which means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. It's the word you would use if you climbed Mount Everest and got to the peak. You would say, it is finished. <laughs> it's the word you would say if you finish the line of a 26-mile marathon and you just stumble across. 
It is finished. This word in the perfect tense as it's used in the Greek means it's speaking of an action which has been completed in the past with results continuing in the present. It's not, it's finished, it's done, that's it. It's finished, and that finishing work on the cross is continuing. Do you understand? It's not stop, start. It started, and it continues to this day, nearly 2,000 years later. That cry out, it is finished, meaning that work is finished, and now anyone who comes to Jesus Anyone who comes to him and says, I believe you died for my sins, can have life with him, can have forgiveness. Now, today, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter the language you speak, it's available now. Therefore, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he meant it was finished in the past, it is still finished in the present, and it will remain finished in the future.